um that f- from there you know i got really deep into like biggie um like hove capone noriega and from there I, I started fucking with like master p um bg from cash money uh, i was a huge silk the shaka fan and then you know then i i, I really I, I grew up in brooklyn and my parents are from haiti so i was really into like reggae you know i was always a fan of it i, I never even thought about music as a career it wasn't until like i was in high school i think like um maybe like junior year in high school my best friend he was a he he, he was like really into music he was a producer the first artist that i actually managed was the clips rico beats who was working for me he was also a producer that i used to work with that i grew up with he bought me pop he was like yo there's this kid from our neighborhood because we're all from the same neighborhood he's like there's this kid from our neighborhood pop smoke you gotta I'm telling you, this kid is, he's the one. You got to meet him. We got to sign him. I'm DJ Semtex. This is the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast with Stephen Victor. Yo, Stephen, thank you for doing this. Um, it's good to hook up with you once more. And before we get into this, just, just to recap, what are your current titles? Because you do a lot of things and you've got a lot of different roles, but just so we're up to date, like what, what is it that you're actually doing right now? Um, so yeah, I, I do have a couple of... Tyrus, so I'm I'm uh I work for Universal as a EVP of A and R in the center, and then I also have my own label, Victor Victor Worldwide, um, and then I have a management company as well. Now I've I've seen you for years, like back and forth when you've been in the UK with Pusha T, um, when you was over here with Pop Smoke, and you know I just I just want to get you know the listeners to get an understanding of how you came through the door because you're you know, in a pretty pivotal position in the music industry, you're an exec that's, that's making things happen and you're working with some pivotal artists. But let's take you way back, like way back. What was your first experience with hip-hop? My first experience with hip-hop was, um, I guess, like in middle, middle school. You, t- you, you mean in terms of like when I started falling in love with hip-hop or? Yeah, yeah, when you fell in love with hip-hop. Yeah, like middle school, I'd say like on some Chop Call Quest shit, you know what I'm saying? early Mob Deep, early Nas. Um, interestingly enough, like my sister is the one that put me onto Mob Deep. <laughs> really? Yeah. Which she album? Was like, Yo, this, um, I think it was like the first album. I, I, let, me, let me think. It was it was definitely before like Shook Ones and, or, and all that. So that would have been Juvenile really, Hell. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So. Crazy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then what happened from that point, like, with, which were the other artists that you started to, like, listen to? Who was the soundtrack to your life, the kind of people, you know? Um, that f- from there, you know, I got really deep into, like, Biggie, um, like, Hove, Capone Noriega. And from there, I, I started fucking with, like, Master P, um, BG from Cash Money. Uh, I was a huge Silk the Shaka fan. And then, you know, then I, I really, I grew up in Brooklyn and my parents are from Haiti. So I was really into like reggae, like Stone Love vibes, you know what I'm saying? Barris Hammond, like Sanchez. So yeah, you know, I bounced around a little bit. And then, you know, my pops used to like country music. So I used to listen to that a lot when he would take me to school. Um, I'm trying to think what else. But yeah, you know, ma- mainly like hip hop reggae is what I was on. Okay, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. What, what? What inspired you to get into the music industry? Because it's like, you know, at the beginning of this, we, we're talking about these titles that you've got, but 
your journey to get to that point, like you've done a lot of things and you, you've worked with a lot of incredible artists. So I, I just want to get a picture of what it was. What was that stepping stone where you went from being a fan of the music and growing up on it to taking it further and, and actually, you know, thinking you could get a career in it? You know, I was always a fan of it. I, I never even thought about music as a career. It wasn't until, like, I was in high school. I think, like, um, maybe like junior year in high school. My best friend, he was a he 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 was like really into music. He was a producer. So back in the day, I always thought that in order to work in the music industry, you had to have some sort of musical talent. So I never I never thought about working in music. I just was a fan the whole time, and then. I had went away to school. I went away to boarding school. And then when I came back one summer, my best friend had an internship, like at a music company. I was like, what do you mean you got an internship? And he was like, I got an internship. So I'm like, what, what's that? What's an internship? Are, are you producing? Like, what are you doing? He was like, nah, I'm like, basically like an errand boy. I'm like an assistant. You know what I mean? I'm just like learning the ropes, learning the business of the music industry. So I was like, learning the music of the, the business of the music industry, What's the what's the business of the music industry? You know, put me on. And he was like, "Well, that's what I'm learning right now, like through this internship." So after that, I just started like picking his brain and asking him, like, "Tell me more about this business of the music industry." So he started telling me. So then I started doing some knowledge, and then when I went away to school, I went I went to college in Atlanta. My roommate, his father, worked in the music industry. So the first thing I did was I asked him. I said, "Yo, can you hook me up with your dad so I can?" asked him to get me an internship. So he hooked me up with his dad and his dad was like, I'll give you an internship. And at the time I, I didn't know internships were unpaid. I thought they were paid. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, how much are you going to pay me? He was like, no, nah, we don't, we don't pay interns. You just come and get to learn what's going on. And in exchange, you have to, you know, essentially be like a gopher. So I was like, okay, cool. And I started interning, you know, like my, I think my sophomore year of college for this guy named Hawk Islam, he had a record label and like Maya and Drew Hill was signed there. Okay, how was that? It was, it was fun because, you know, because his son was living in New York. His, even though they were from D.C., during the summertime, you know, we would come. I lived in New York, in New York and stayed with his father and we would just be like running around. I remember like Maya was popping at the time. So like his son, who was my friend, was my, my close friend, was hanging out with like DJ Clue and like Anton, who was Foxy Brown's brother. So we, I would go up to like the Interscope offices all the time. And I would like, I'd see like rappers. I'd see Ja Rule. I'd see different celebrities like Drew Hill. So it was like fun. It was like, I, I had an internship, but it didn't, it didn't feel like an internship or feel like work. It just felt like hanging out and seeing celebrities, seeing rappers come and go. What was the most demeaning thing that you did during that time as an intern? Because a lot of people think that you know, you just get into the industry, it's like pretty straightforward and, and you know, it's like, it's illustrious immediately from the get-go, but like, what, what are some of like the most humbling things that you had to do as an intern? I can't say there was anything that was like demeaning because I was interning for my friend's father. So it was, it was never like, he just had me doing clerical work more than anything, clerical work, like running errands, um, answering phones. Like I was essentially an assistant. And then what ended up happening is, you know, just me and through my curiosity, I would just, he had an office within the Universal building. So he had a label, but his offices were in Universal. So I would, I would like roam the halls and like talk, bump into different people and talk to them about what they did. 
one day I bumped into, I bumped it to this guy who was a publicist. I walked into his office and I was just like, Hey, what do you do? And he was like, Oh, I'm a publicist. And I started talking to him and I was like, well, I, I interned for Hawk. Can I, can I intern for you when my internship with Hawk is done? And he was like, he was like, sure. I got to say, I was like super fortunate because, you know, I just kept on, for lack of a better word, I kept on like um, stepping in shit. So I walked into Junior's office. I was like, yo, let me get an internship. And he was like, cool. You know, when you, once your internship is done with Hawk, just call me and then you can intern for me. So I went back to school. And then I, when I came back to New York, when I graduated, you know, I, I called him up and he was like, sure, yeah, you could, you could have an internship. And then that internship turned into me becoming his assistant, like an unofficial assistant. I was an assistant for like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say this is like demeaning or nothing like that, but I was an unpaid assistant for maybe like, I don't know, three years. Wow. When I, when I graduated from college. Wow. That's putting in the work. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it so then from being I went from being an unpaid assistant for like three years to being an assistant for like another like a full on a, a real assistant, a paid assistant for like another three years. At what point did you then move into management? What when did that happen? And who was the um, first artist that you worked with? Like again, I stepped in shit. The first artist that I actually managed was the clips. Wow. You know, so, you know, I went from being an intern slash assistant at Interscope to being an assistant at Interscope. And then, you know, I was doing my thing. I, I was I was working in the publicity department. So I was doing PR and then I was a huge fan of the clips, you know what I'm saying? And Pharrell had just got a label deal at Interscope. And I was really good friends with one of his assistants, this girl named Nicole Planton. So we were cool. And then, you know, one day I just, I hit her and I was like, yo, I'm obsessed with the clips. Like you gotta, you gotta get me on the phone with like Pharrell, push her a mouse and like, let me speak to them and, and tell them I want to work for them. I want to do PR for them. She was like, okay, I'll call Pusher and see if he wants to speak to you. And the next day she, she had me on the phone with Pusher. How was you know that call? <laughs> Cause knowing Push and knowing you and knowing how you guys are now, like, what was that call like? Was he grilling you? Was he cool with you? Or was it just like straightforward? Yeah, he, he was cool because it, it wasn't like at the time, you know, I, I had done some stuff. Like I had credentials. It wasn't like I was just some random person. So when I, before I got on the phone with him, like Nicole vouched for me. She was like, yo, these are the things that he's been able to do. So it, was, it wasn't like I was just some random person. Like Nicole really vouched for me. And, you know, if you know Pusha, he's like a, he's a serious person. So... He was like, okay, this makes sense. I'll speak to him. So I got on the phone with him and I just pitched him. I was like, yo, I love the clips. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is this is my vision for the clips. Like, this is what I feel like I could do for you. And I'm gonna do it for free. I do it for free. And he was like, okay. And this was around the time when they were putting out their mixtapes. Like, I knew all the songs. I knew all the, the first mixtape that came out. So I knew all the verses. So I just got on the phone with him. It was just like, yo, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, I do it for free. Like, give me, give me like six months trial and you could just, I'll show and prove. Just let me do your, Yes, I wasn't even that time. I wasn't even thinking about becoming like you know his manager or anything like that. I was just trying to work with artists that I was a fan of. So if I was like a fan of somebody, I like tried to figure out a way to work with them. That's how I worked with like I worked with Jim Jones early on, like Nelly Furtado, Jada Kiss. Like if I was a fan of yours, I was like I'm gonna figure a way to work with you. So like to take a step back, when I was interning in the PR department for Junior, I was like, yo, I'm gonna. 
I'm gonna be the best at this because if I if you're good at something, people are naturally gonna give you a shot. So even though like my whole thing wasn't to become a publicist, it was always to be like in A and R management. I was like, I'm gonna use this opportunity to work with artists and show them what I could do on this level. And then from there, like that could be my my way in. And then from there, I could transition to like management in A&R because that was my passion. And I felt like that was what I was talented in, but I, I had to find a way to get in. Right. That's deep. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. That, that was my way in. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And and your journey with Pusha T, I mean, has been illustrious for a start, but it, it hasn't been that straightforward. It hasn't been easy. Like, you know, obviously, you know, as the clips, they went their separate ways. And then they parted company from Star Trek and then Push was independent. Yeah. Was that like, was you just learning on the spot during that situation? Like, how, how did you manage to stand firm and hold the line when it's like things are changing, the wolves are closing in and it's like, you know, because one minute you were up there, next minute it's here. And then, you know, how at that stage, you know, how did you, yeah, how did you stand firm? I mean, I got, I got to say, it was like another situation where I say like, I just been lucky and I worked hard because at the time when I was the Clips' publicist, um, their manager was, do you know Tony Draper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Legend. their manager was, yeah, Legend was Tony Draper and Tony Draper started his own label. So, you know what I'm saying? He, his knowledge is like incredible. You know what I'm saying? He's a straight up G. So Draper was their manager. So I used to just call Draper every night and just pick his brain. every Like he'll tell you if you ever speak to him. Like we still good friends to, to this day, but Back then, I, I would call him every single night and have him on the phone with me. And this is like a busy guy, you know what I'm saying? But I would have him on the phone for like an hour just asking him questions, like detailed questions about everything that I wanted to know. Anything that was going on, I'd be like, how'd you do this deal? What's the basis around this? What's the basis around that? And the information he was giving me was from someone who was, who had like knowledge from all aspects of the game because, you know, he was an entrepreneur that started his own label from the ground up. So he knew all the different, aspects of the music game so I, right. I got my education from him and i pay you know i pay super like i pay super close attention to everything so he's i'm asking him questions like through these years and he's you know he's allowing me to go to meetings with him and whatever information i need he's giving me that information so that's really where i got a lot of like the business acumen from at least the foundation for it you know what i'm saying yeah. was from Draper. So that's really, I had like, a, I, I don't want to say a head start, but the, the information I was getting was, I was getting it from at a very high level. In in the previous interview that I did with Push T, um, when we did his show in the UK, like it's, it's like years ago now. It's like, to mm -hmm. me, it was like a couple of years ago, but I think it was like six or seven years ago. He was saying that it was down to Rick Ross that he was invited to Hawaii to work with Kanye. And that just kind of, opened up a whole different chapter for both of you guys, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we were in LA. I remember when Rick Ross called him and he put Ye on the phone with him. And he was like, yo, Ye wants you to come out to Hawaii. And it was like, you know, we were all fans of Ye. Ye so it's like, you know, at the time we didn't know like his process or any of that stuff. We were just like, yo, this is a dope opportunity. But yeah, that, that call came from Ross, yo. You know, from your perspective as a manager, how did that, affect Pusha T the artist like because he was like reborn rejuvenated I mean I love Blocker Blocker's like my favorite one of my favorite Pusha T tracks of all time but 
you know, when Runaway came out, that just put him in a totally different place. He's like pushes rapping in stadiums and on shows and world yeah. shows. It changed everything, right? It changed everything, man. And you know, when they first when he first went to Hawaii, you know, he was still in the group. It, the clips was still full on when he was first working with Kanye. So it was just like he's working with Ye, but you know, the clips is still a thing and they're still working on music, preparing to put an album out. And then like in the middle of all of that is when Gene was like, yo, you know, I'm not really into this rap thing no more. I, I want to go this way. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it was like a shock and all that. And then for yourself, like, because you ended up running Good Music at one point, right? Yeah, with Pusha. How was that? You know, you're working with Kanye who, you know, yay is yay, but he's someone who's constantly ripping up the rule book. Like, how do you work alongside someone like that from you know, label side of things. It's, it's ill because like working with somebody like Kanye is like, I'm not even gonna hold you up. He's he's like a genius, you know what I'm saying? So being around him is just like super inspiring, especially for somebody like myself. You know what I'm saying? Or anybody that likes to be, anybody that's ambitious and likes to be inspired and is driven by art and, you know what I'm saying, creation. It was just like working with him was like, it was a breeze. It was. Just because, like, he, he's so ill of a creative, you know what I'm saying? You kind of got to just, like, get out the way and let him do and make or actually make a way for him to do what he needs to do because his genius level is that high. Like, he's right. on another planet, you know what I'm saying? So it's, bro, it was, it was, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. It was, anybody that's worked with, yeah, would tell you, like, it's, it's incredible, yo. It's, like, What's really, it? really incredible. What, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you learned from working with Kanye West? Like never take no for an answer and there's always a way to get things done and always put the art first. Nothing comes before the creativity. Like don't ever let anything block or hinder the creativity. So Stephen Victor, you, you've gone from being an intern, you know, you, you, you worked your way up you, you you had the audacity to say that you wanted to manage your favorite act and you're <laughs> popping up and then you're working with one of the greatest artists ever like you know any genre and you, you, you you're learning from him you're working alongside him and the artist that you manage that you're also coming through with he's doing the same thing he's elevating as well at the same time at what point are you like, I, I need to do my own label? And then what came first? Was it the label or was it the discovery of Pop Smoke? Rico Beats, who was working for me, was also a producer that I used to work with that I grew up with. He brought me Pop. He was like, yo, there's this kid from our neighborhood. Because we're all from the same neighborhood. He's like, there's this kid from our neighborhood, Pop Smoke. You got to, I'm telling you, this kid is, he's the one. You got to meet him. We got to sign him. And that was maybe like in... November or December of 2018. But I, ended up, I didn't end up meeting him until maybe February of 2019. And, you know, when I met him, it was kind of, I was really meeting him as a favor to Rico. Wow. But then when I met him, I was like, like Rico would tell you when I met him, it was like a whole, a whole thing. Because, you know, even to the point where when we set up the meeting, I set it up in Rico's office because I want to be able to, come in, do the meeting and leave. You know, I didn't want it like in my office and it'd be awkward if I left after a short time. So we did it in Rico's office and I ended up being in there for like 
you know, I want to say at least an hour. Like, I was like, yo, this kid is, he's the next superstar. Wow. And then yeah. at, from that time that you met him, and then w- was there any track that you heard that we know today was that, you know, was Welcome to the Party done them or did that come later? You know, when I, when I met him, I don't remember him playing Welcome to the Party. He might have played it, but it wasn't, that song didn't stand out to me. What stood right. out to me is he, he had this record called PTSD. He had PTSD right. that stood out to me. He had the record Something Special that stood out to me. Um, and it was a couple other records that that are unreleased, but it, it was more. It was like the combination of the songs that he was playing me, and I was just like, "Yo, this kid's incredibly talented. Like his voice is like he uses. He knows how to use his voice as an instrument, and he was just. It was just everything, you know. Because I, I, I still don't remember "Welcome to the Party." He might have played it. He might because I I know he had it at mm. the time when I when we signed him, but I don't remember. I, I remember all the other songs, but I just knew he was, you know, he was destined for greatness. Like I knew like. You know how you just know when you yeah. meet an artist, you're like, okay, it was one of those. I heard "Welcome to the Party," and I, I got it from a DJ pool, and mm-hmm. I try, I test everything out. I just try it, you know, because you you never know what's gonna catch you. You never know what the next banger is or anything. So, you know, I got it and I heard it, and I was like, wow, this is crazy different. And I said it's crazy because. It's a rapper from New York, but it sounds like an English track. So it was, it was really like, you know, it, it was fascinating. So I take, you know, I'm at my radio station. I play it to my team. No, I don't even play it to my team. I play it on air. And yeah. at the beginning of it, at the beginning of the track, they're like, what the hell is this? What are you doing, Zemtex? Like, what, you know, by the time yeah. the track finished, they were like, whoa, this is crazy. And da, 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 da. So it was just really i mean yeah that's the first time i'd heard him but straight away just from that one track i mean from from here in the uk we we knew it was special straight away from hearing that joint that was like we this you know he, he was set over here in that one track alone yeah because i i remember rico played it for me like after we had signed him rico was like yo this song is this song is hot this is this is this is a joint it's, it's ringing off in in brooklyn i remember i, I listened to it. I, I didn't I'm not even gonna lie to you. I'm not even gonna hold you up. I didn't. I didn't get it when Rico first played it for me. I was just like, I was like, "You sure this is ringing off?" He was like, "Bro, trust me, it's <laughs> ringing off crazy." You know, because <laughs> I, was, I was like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> so, from your perspective, being from Brooklyn, you know, you you worked with a lot of great artists, and how did that feel to you that all of a sudden you're seeing this UK sound and UK producers coming through because? It's never happened before, right? Bro, I didn't I didn't even I didn't even look at it as a UK sound. Like I'm not even gonna hold you up and say that, that I knew it was a UK sound. I just looked at it as his shit is like a little bit little bit left. I was like, all we gotta do is keep it like that and maybe bring it a little bit to center. I didn't realize it was a UK sound until I flew mellow from London to New York. Right. Because what happened was you know, we started going into the studio to work and, you know, he had a bunch, a bunch of records. Like Rico was producing records. He had a bunch of records that he was working with different producers. And like the songs that I felt like were special that was, that I was like, yo, these are keepers. This is a keeper. This is a keeper. It happened to be the same producer. It was like three records. And I was like, yo, these, and it just happened to be the same producer. And I was like, yo, who's the producer? I'm thinking it's a kid from Brooklyn. And he was like, Oh, I I don't know who it is. I, I I'm finding these beats on YouTube. Is this kid's page? So 
I go on the page and I'm like, okay. So I tell Rico, I'm like, yo, get in touch with that producer. Let's, let's bring him to the studio. So Rico gets in touch with him and he's, he's like, yo, Steven, this, this kid's in, in London. And I was like, what are you sure? And he's like, yeah, he told me he's in London. And I'm like, nah, no way. Let me speak to him. So I speak to him. He's really in London. So we fly him over to New York. Like me and Rico fly him over to New York and bring him to, to the studio to work with Pop. And the first record they did was Dior, I think. Wow. I think Dior was the first record they did, yeah. But Pop didn't know he was from London either. So when, he, when he's in the studio and he starts talking, <laughs> you know, his accent <laughs> comes out. <laughs> But, you know, they had that chemistry. So I was like, yo, listen, I remember, I, I, you know, we were working on the tape and I said to Pop, I was like, yo, bro, like Melo got to do the whole tape. The first tape, Melo got to do the whole tape. And, you know, at the time he had like features from different artists because, you know, he was buzzing by the time, by the time we were like ready to put the mixtape out, he had like features from different people and he was working with other producers. And I remember we had a meeting and I was like, yo, bro, the whole tape got to be Melo, no features. And, you know, he's, he's like 18 or 19. If that was me at 18 or 19. And I had a track that was, because by that point, Welcome to the Party was, was ringing off. You know what I'm saying? And like established artists was reaching out to him and so on and so forth and producers. And like if, me at 18 or 19, if I got that going on and somebody's telling me, don't take advantage of none of that and come out with a mixtape with no features, even though I got a bunch of features lined up and with an unknown producer, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm, put, I'm putting these features on my tape and I'm working with these established producers that got clout. But Pop was like, nah, if that's what you're saying, that's, that's how we rocking. And that's then, why if you notice on the first tape, we didn't have no features and it was all Mello. I think Rico might've produced two songs on there as well, but it was mainly just Mello and Rico. That's it. I mean, that tape, that tape was hard. And that tape, like, it lasted for that year. But when Meet the Woo 2 came out, bro, that, yeah. was like a, that was like a level up. For me, it's like the perfect tape. It, it was different. It was forward thinking. And it had that momentum from, like, when you press play, you, you don't need to forward anything. You don't need to, like... Yeah, but it, you know, it, it, was, it, it was an evolution of Meet the Woo 1. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, all of that stuff was deliberate. It was very deliberate. Like it was like, yo, we're gonna do meet. We were gonna do like four meet the woos. We were gonna do meet the woo twenty seven if we had to to get people to know who he was and like make sure that that sound was like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like we locked in that sound, but he happened to do it in two mixtapes. But the idea was always to be like, yo, we're gonna make sure that people know this is your sound. We're gonna develop and identify your sound with you and Mello. So when we did the first tape. You know what I'm saying? And it was, I felt it was, I felt the first tape was like super strong, super New York. And the second tape, we were like, yo, we, we're not going to take it over their heads. We're going to take it just a, like one notch up. You know what I'm saying? Because mm. I just knew how talented he was. So I was like, yo, we don't have to rush anything. Mm. We don't got to rush and we don't got to rush anything because you're going to be here for, you're going to have like a 20, 25 year career. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I remember I knew, I knew he could sing. I knew, I knew all the other records he had in the chamber. I knew his, talent level so i was like yo we don't have to rush like we could just take our time and really really execute all this shit to like the highest level like everything from your your, your style your music the evolution of your music the evolution of you as a as a person as a man as an artist like we don't have to rush at all like we're just gonna make the best shit 
And that's it. That's all we're focused on is making the best music, the best art. You know what I'm saying? That's why, like, even at the time, I didn't sign any more artists. Like, Pop was, I signed Pop, and I kind of, like, laser focused on that. You know, like, even to the point where Pop was bringing me other artists, like Fabio, and he was like, yo, this is my friend. He's popping in Brooklyn. We should sign him. And I was like, bro, all I'm focused on is you right now. Because I just knew how special he was. So, like, Meet the Wu 2, it rang off, but it was just an evolution of Meet the Wu 1. As a fan, to me, it felt like Meet the Wu 2 was that launch pad where he was, you knew, like, if, if you had any doubts about him before with Meet the Wu 2, you knew he was going to be one of the great ones. It was, it was just the greatness of that tape. You know, yeah. like when we started this conversation, you're talking about albums that, that got you into hip hop, you know, like like early Mob Deep albums and everything else. And all of those albums from that era, they had that. They were like bodies of work which, you know, defined an era or which changed the game and, and inspired other artists. And for me, I found it like incredibly refreshing. And it was like, he bridged cultures. Like he, you got, you got New York and you got London. Like no one's ever bridged that gap before, like that on a project. So yeah, but the, it's so crazy that you say that because all of that was like deliberate. We like we had these conversations. We're like, yo, we're gonna bridge the gap. That's why his first show was in London. Yeah, that was incredible. And that was that was on purpose. It wasn't like it wasn't because he couldn't perform in New York or any of that shit. Like that was deliberate. I was like, yo, the first show is going to be in London. Like you're going to be an international superstar. We're going to set it off in London. Mellow's from London. You know what I'm saying? You're getting love out there in London. We're going to go there first. You know what I'm saying? They're supporting you out there. We're going to go there first and we're going to plant the flag out there. And you're going to spend time out there. Like if you, if you noticed he was in, he, he came to London like three times or four mm. times, maybe. Yeah, and you know what? I, I appreciate you as always. Like I've worked with you on Pusha T, and then we did that show. And when when we were me and Chris was talking about doing the show, people were like, "Oh, you're crazy!" Da, 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 da. And then when it sold out, everyone was mad. Like, why did you put it on the Brixton Academy? Did he, you know? You know, like, and and we we were talking to you guys months before, like before, you know, it was building towards that point. But that show was so crazy, the security was so tight, I couldn't even get Axel in. Like, it has a that's how much of a zoo it was. It was like, it was a real moment, man. It was like, again, it was another stepping stone in the journey of, you know, what what could be, you know, it was an amazing night. Yeah. No, for sure. And, you know, like, shout out to you for even, because you, you were the first one. I, me I remember we, I was talking to Shiv and I was like, yo, we, we have to do it in London. And Shiv was like, yeah, Semtex wants to do it. And even, even for me at the time, when he said Semtex wanted to do it, I was like, oh yeah, it's just, it's lit. You know what I'm saying? Because mm. I was thinking it was going to be, we, the, the first show we were going to do was going to be like 50 people. And then when Shiv said you were interested in doing it, I was like, oh shit, it's lit. Even even though it was like a small venue, I think it was only a couple hundred people, right? Um, it was, it was. we put it on sale for 600 people, then we had, that sold out like within seconds. And pe pe I've never had people mad before that something sold out so quick. It was almost like people were, People were insulting me, saying that we're irresponsible for putting it in such a small venue. Like I've never had that kind of abuse before. So <laughs> we, we upgraded to like twelve hundred people. Sold out again within minutes. We could have done that four times over. We could have done that night four times over. But and and that that was without any records on radio. There was nothing in the chart. This was purely like the street. And this was and it wasn't even. It was still a lot of people that had yet to discover him. But 
you know, he he really, really tapped in and, and the artist rated him. You know, I was with him at the sound check and he's talking to young gads and, and then he's telling me he wants to hook up with Fredo. And the crazy thing is is that the Fredo Young Gads and Pop Smoke track recently dropped as well. So Yeah, it just it just, it just dropped. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. The whole thing is crazy the way that it all came about. It all know? came together, yeah. Cause like I said, I was thinking we were gonna do like a fifty cat, like a very, very, very small room. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't even thinking 600. I was just like, yo, we're just going to go out there and, you know, really show love and, like, really start this thing from the ground up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for it to be, for it to have been, like, yo, Simtex wants to do it, and, you know, the shit was crazy. That's what that, that's, I was like, yo, you know, and that was, that was his first show, you know? That's crazy. You know, it's, it's good we're getting a chance to talk like this because it's really evident, you know, like from what you were saying about, you know, you had the laser focus and everything else. It sounds like you working with Pop also, you evolved as an exec as well, because, you know, you're, you're, you're working with an artist from scratch and you're already thinking with a global vision. Most people who sign artists or work with artists, they just focus on their hometown and that's it. Or, you know, their hometown, then the country, then they might look at overseas, but you instilled that vision in the team from day one. So that's kind of testament yeah. to your growth as well, right? No, 100%. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, from trial and error and also from being around Kanye for a long time, also from being, from seeing how Push's career, like, has always been, it's been super, super solid, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like all those different things that I learned through the years. And then, you know, just working at a company like Def Jam and seeing, and seeing all the different, you know, m- making the, dif- the different mistakes that I made and, you know, seeing what it really takes to like break an artist from scratch. Like it's, it's, it takes like a village or, or like supreme, supreme focus. And it takes that level of, it takes a strong vision, but then it also takes everybody got to be on the same page as you in terms of like focus, dedication, and work. Cause you know, we were like, bro, I mean, like everybody got to be on the same page. Cause I was in the studio with Pop, like when we were working on that mixtape, the first two mixtapes, like I was coming home every night at like five o'clock in the morning because Pop used to like working late. So I'd go to the office, you know, from like 10 to seven or eight and then, right. you know, go to the studio around like nine and be there till five in the morning. And this went off for like months. You know what I'm saying? So like everybody got it. So like my wife, everybody got to understand and be on the same page when you like on a mission like that. Because it, it, it was crazy, you know, like, I like to tell you a story. I remember when we, when we shot the Gotti video for for the record with Travis Scott. Yeah, like we were we were going back and forth. Like you know, what I'm saying he had he had just came from London, um, to New York, and then from from there we went to L.A. He was in New York for a day. He went he came to, from from London to New York. He was in New York for a day, and the next day we went to L.A. to work to work in a studio with Travis. Then he went back to New York the day after that, and. When he landed, like I landed before him because I had a flight before him. When he landed, you know, Travis was like, yo, we want to shoot the video tomorrow. So because of the time difference, like by the time he landed, I'm on the phone with him. I'm like, yo, we got to go back to LA tomorrow. We had just landed in New York and two days before that he was in London. And, you know, we had a conversation about it. It was like, yo, bro, I'm tired. You know what I'm saying? It was like a lot of back and forth, but he landed an hour later we got back on another flight to go to LA and that was happening. Like, you know, that was, that was the, 
at the pace that we were working. It was like every every day, every day was something different. Like and we was in the studio every night. Like it was crazy. And was he built for it? Was he cool with that? Because you know, some artists they can't do that. There's some artists that would just be like, "Oh yeah, I need you know." I mean, listen, he wasn't used to it, so he would he would complain initially, but he would just. He wouldn't like complain to the point where he was like, I can't do it. He would just be like, yo, how do people, he was, it was more one of those things where it was, he was like, how do people do this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was like, this is insane. But you know, we were like on a mission. So we were like, yo, this is what we got to do to get to where we're trying to go. You know what I'm saying? So he, he had like the schedule of someone that was like already, he had the schedule of like an A-list artist. Right. While we were, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, he was a hard worker because a lot of people wouldn't have been able to, to do it, especially your first time, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you get on a plane every other day going cross country, you're in the studio every day, you're doing promo, press, like it's a lot, but he was built for it. It sounds like you guys had a great working relationship and friendship because, you know, he talks a lot about you in the interview that they did with him and, and he shouts you out in several tracks. Your name's going to be ringing off forever and you're in <laughs> what the banger shake the room as well, you know, and, yeah. and get back. Like, he really connected with you, you know. You know, you, you, you were like a dope duo, you know, with the way you guys were coming through. Yeah, man, it's like, it's so bittersweet because it's like, it's super rare to find someone in any relationship, whether it's like a working relationship or like a personal relationship, or like, you know, a romantic relationship, whatever, where you meet someone and like, you guys have complete like confidence and trust in one another off rip. And that's really what it, what it was with me and him. Like we never, it was just that. Like if, you, if, if I felt super, super strong about something, like he would, he'd be like, all right, I'm rolling with you. And vice versa, if I had an opinion that he felt really, really strong the opposite side, I'd be like, all right, we'll do it that way. Like whoever had the strongest opinion would, you know what I'm saying? We would ride with that. Bro, it was just like incredible how like everything came together because Rico, his manager, like I have the same type of relationship with for 10 years and we're all from like four blocks of one another in Brooklyn. Like obviously all different age groups, but we all grew up in the same neighborhood. So, you know, it was kind of like, it was crazy. I interviewed him in London. Yeah. It's an amazing interview. It's legendary. Um, he met my fam, like my family fans of him. They they met him and it was dope. He's really, really cool. Then shortly after, I found out, you know, we all found out he's no longer with us. I was like, I found it mad upsetting. I can't even imagine what you was going through, like, how, how did you cope with his loss? You know, because given the journey that you guys have had and, and the success that you was getting and the way that it was building, like, it was kind of unimaginable that, you know, the thought of, you know, him leaving us, you know? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, to be completely honest with you, when it first, like, you know, I didn't believe it. It was just like, uh, to take a, to take a, a step back, like, you know, he was, you know, you, you've met Pop before, so you know, you know how he is and how he rolls, right? Mm. So it was always one of those things where, like, I would pray or hope that he wouldn't get locked up. But I never, 
like thought that he would get killed. You know what I'm saying? It was always like, man, I hope Pop doesn't get locked up. It was never, oh, I, you know. So like, I remember when I got the phone call, it was just like, bro, I, you know, I've never felt like that kind of pain before, like sudden pain, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like it's, it was just like, you know, like I don't, I don't remember the last time that I cried before that. It was just, it was like, I, I can't. It's, it's, it's unmanageable. It's, I don't even know how to, like, even just thinking back on it, it feels like it was yesterday. It was a year ago, right? But it feels like it yeah. was yesterday that I got that phone call. And then you know, like, you know, it's, it's just. Like it was, bro. I can't even begin to like take you where like I was feeling, mm. you know. And still, like you know, I try to. I still haven't like dealt with it. You know what I'm saying? Like dealt with his passing completely. Um, because you know, I just I just haven't. But it was. You know that was that was a really 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 rough time. Like I've, you know that that that's a feeling that you know I don't wish on anyone. You know because it's like, like you like you to, to to spend every day with someone for like a year, right? Mm. Or not 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 even a year, less than a year. But to have that the connection with someone like that and be someone that you speak to like multiple times a day and you know, like you guys have like this relationship and then it just like gets snatched from you in like such a violent way and like a sudden way. It's like, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't know how to, how you explain that or like I said, deal with it or come to grips with it. But yeah, how, did, how did you find the strength to put together such an amazing album? Because, you know, his legacy lives on, you know, you know, Reach for Stars, Aim for the Moon. It's an amazing album. The fans love it. And, and it's, it's taken him somewhere else. You know, he's, he's bigger than he ever was. He's got more fans than he ever did before. But how, how did you... How did you get the strength to be able to put that together though? Because, you know, it's, it's one of the best albums. It's a classic and, and the numbers that it's done and the impact and the legacy. Yeah, I don't know how you did it, you know, but- so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not gonna hold you up. Like really and truly the, the way that happened is that was a conversation with, with 50 Cent. Cause when I came back from LA, um, like 50 kept on reaching out to me to get in touch with me. So, you know, after a couple of days, I hit him back. And he was like, yo, come see me. I want to talk to you. And it's crazy because when I went to go see him, like I was sitting in, in his office with him. And maybe like two weeks prior to that, I had taken Pop to meet him in that very same office. Right. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And like 50 was giving him jewels and like, talking to him and like 50 i remember 50 was like yo when you when you rap don't ever 
don't ever rap about death towards you. Like, wrap it away from you. Don't put that energy in the air. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, like, I'm sitting in, in the room. So it's, like, surreal because I'm, like, you know, I'm, like, super depressed. And But I'm sitting in the room, and it's kind of, like, a surreal feeling because it's, like, two weeks prior to that, I was in the same room with Pop. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I'm speaking to, to 50, and he's, like, you know, we're speaking about Pop, about his passing and so on and so forth. And he's like, so when you album out, I'm looking at this nigga like, the fuck is he talking about? I'm not putting no, is this guy crazy? Is this guy nuts? And I'm like, put an album out. I'm like, if I can't even listen to this kid's music, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm distraught, bro. I'm not putting no album nuts. Mm. And he's like, no, are you nuts? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, you can't. He was like, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're depressed and all that, but you need to get yourself together and you need to finish what he started and what you guys were trying to accomplish. Because two weeks ago when you guys were here, you told me you were putting his mixtape out. You were going to put his album out in the summer. He told me he wanted to put his album out in the summer. He's like, so you're just going to like, all that stuff, you're just going to like, let it fall to the side because you're depressed. And I was like, yeah and he was like no you're being selfish and i'm like how am i being selfish he's like you're being selfish because he had goals like he has a legacy like he has family that you know what i'm saying he was going to take care of with this music thing you can't be caught up in your feelings so much that he was like what's worse you're going to get caught up what would he want you to do like get caught up in your feelings and just be depressed and do nothing or finish what he was trying to, what he came here to do. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds good, but it's one thing to say it and it you know, sounds good, but it's a whole nother thing to do it. Like he's not here to, prom-. he was like, don't even worry about him being here to promote it or nothing like that. I got a voice, I, I'll promote it. You just get the album done and I'll help you with whatever you need help with. Like whatever you you need promoting it marketing what, whatever you need like i'll i'll help you with that but you got to finish his album you got to finish his album put it out in the summertime like he wanted like you need to like get your shit together and you got to get to work bro and i'm like i'm looking at him like yo this nigga's crazy you know i'm like but you know like the more i thought about it i'm like he's right you know? So I remember I went home. He gave me his number and I, I called him and we had another conversation. He was like, bro, you gotta you gotta put the album out. You can't you can't let this all be for naught. You gotta keep this man's legacy going. Like he this wasn't like no fly by night. This kid was like super talented. Like, you know, I met him, I I, I took a super liking to him. He was a really good kid. Like you gotta you got to get it together. And like I said, I, I'll help you out. Whatever I need to do marketing wise, I'll get on some records. Like, you know, I'll listen to the records. I'll help you work on them if you need help on that front. But you got to put the album out. And I was like, you know, okay. And I just started thinking about it. Like, he's right. Pop used to always be like, don't be no Debbie down ass nigga. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what he used to say. He'd be like, yo, keep that shit around for me. Like, nah. That's not what we are. We're on a different type of energy. We're positive. And, you know, 
we going for? Are we going for it? We, we, we're coming for what we came for. So I was like, all right. So I, I remember I, I had all the, because you, you know, the thing is, it wasn't, I don't want to say it was easy, but it was easy because I spent so much time with him and all the records that he was making, I was there when he was making them. And I, you know, all the ideas of who he wanted on the songs, who he was a fan of. Like he le- he left like the blueprint. All I had to do was really get the songs finished and sequence it. And I had been there with him when he sequenced, because he sequenced both projects. Like you know, we right. did it together, but it was really, it was really him that did the first and last songs. Like everything in between, we kind of did together. But the first and last songs on both the mixtapes, like he he put that together. Right. So I already had an idea in my mind of like how he would want it. So it wasn't that hard creatively just because like we were making the album and let me take a step back because when we were finishing Meet the Woo 2, you know, we we had finished Meet the Woo 2 and we were working on this album because the whole plan was we were going to put out Meet the Woo 2 in January and we were going to finish the album by the end of February because he was supposed to go on tour starting in March and I knew he wasn't going to be able to record while he was on the road, but we wanted to be able to put the album out at the beginning of the summer. Like we were going to put the album out like Memorial weekend so he could like run the summer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That So like I said, we were working on like a feverish pace. Like we had like all these plans and goals. So we had a lot of the album done because we were working on it. We were working to put it out in May. So the whole idea when we went to the Bahamas was to finish the mixtape and you know, finished the the the, the mixtape, finished the album to about like eighty five to ninety percent. And all we were gonna have to do, all all I would have to do was while he was on the road, is get the features that he wanted and mix and start mixing it, and then just bring it to him for like approval and like final tweaks. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's how the album came about, and that's why I feel like it was so good because it was. You know, we were working on it in real time before he passed. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, when we were working on whatever it might have been, music or whatever, like it was always like a collaborative effort. So when I'm putting together the final album, I'm thinking about like the conversations that we had. I'm having conversations with him, you know what I'm saying? Even though he's not here Mm -hmm. physically. Like I'm knowing what he thinks, you know what I'm saying? And me, Rico, Ben, everyone that was a part of his journey as an artist when we started working with him like we all knew what time it was as it relates to what he wanted and the message that he was trying to get out here out there how do you feel seeing his legacy just just continue to grow because you know there's there's generations of artists that well there's 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 right now there's a generation of artists that have been inspired by him there's going to be more no doubt as time goes on but for you to see this now um how does it feel to see like his spirit lives on through the music and the influence and you know everything that he's done to be completely honest with you it's like for me it's like really really like bittersweet because i'm because i knew that he was going to be this big it's not like oh he he's this big because he passed away like he was well on his way so it's like super bittersweet that he's not here to see what we all knew was gonna happen <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i hear that 
it's, it's, it's very, very, very bittersweet, man. And the music that continues to come out and to be released is like, is equally as exciting. The Kid Cudi joint is Skepton and Pop. Yeah, and you know, the, the crazy part about that Kid Cudi one is that, you know, that was the first session that he did without Mello. Wow. And when he went in the studio and did that joint, I remember thinking, and I, to- I told Cuddy this too. Um, he did the joint with playing Pat and, and Dot. And I remember I was like, yo, this shit would be ill if we can get Kid Cuddy on it. But at the time he was, you know, he was an unknown artist. Like I said, this was the first session he did that didn't involve Mellow. So I just, I just had it tucked. And I was like, man, when he, cause I knew he was going to be a superstar. I was like, yo, when Pop's bigger, I'm going I'm to bring this record to Cuddy and we're going to get Cuddy on it. You know what I'm saying? Like I had, I had this whole idea. I was like, "Yo, we're gonna put Cuddy on it, and then we're gonna get Pusher on it." Pop was supposed to finish it, you know what I'm saying? Because he had already laid the hook on it. And I was like, "Yo, we're gonna put Cuddy and Pusher on this record." So when Cuddy hit me, and he was like, "Yo, I heard this record that Dot played, and I like it. It fits my vibe." You know what I'm saying? What do you think about me using it? It was like surreal because that was always like the plan when he made the record. I remember me and him spoke about it and we was like, yo, we gonna put Cuddy on this. And he was like, yo, you think we can get Kid Cuddy? And I was like, yeah, not right now, but I was like, I know Cuddy. So at some point, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Right. You know what I'm saying? So to see it come out on Cuddy's project, it's kind of like, it's ill. That's, that's crazy, man. You know, it's a year, it's a year later. Um, what happens next for yourself? Like given what you've been through in the journey that, you've been through and what you've achieved like the Steven Victor the executive um manager A&R like where you at now like what what's next for you honestly I just want to like make dope shit I just want to make dope shit and like help artists I mean that's always been like my whole thing is help artists like achieve their and realize their vision but like now more than ever it's like for me, it's all about creating like dope art. Like that's gonna last, that's gonna inspire other people. You know what I'm saying? Not necessarily, obviously, you know, for things to be successful is like, we all want that. But more than that, like for me, it's all about making the, the dopest art and inspiring, inspiring people to do the same. Like that's really all it's for me. Like, you know, I'm working on a project with Nigo and I feel like, you know, that's going to be something that's like incredible. You know, Pusha, we're working on Pusha's new album. Like, that's going to be incredible. Like, I'm doing an album with Airway Mellow and Axel. I feel like that's going to be incredible. Like, it's really just for me, it's just about doing dope shit more than anything, whether it's like, you know, or music, or art. Like, I just want to make dope, long lasting shit. 